This morning, we want to help you catch a glimpse of what we see when we stand right here. We want you to know what we know, to feel what we feel as we serve Christ in this church. We want you to see the church from our perspective, through our eyes, as it were. Every time I stand here, I catch a glimpse of scores of people whose lives I personally know to have been radically changed by Jesus Christ through this ministry. A while ago, I received a letter from a couple to help me cement what we are attempting to do this morning. The letter told how the couple took their children to a Christian concert. The seating was general admission, and by the time they got there, the only seats available were those behind the stage. Although the family was able to enjoy the concert, the wife did confess to me to being a little envious of those with front row seats. She lamented the fact that no matter what the event, she always seems to sit in the nosebleed section. She recalls how she never gets a clear view of the main act. I have a feeling that many of you may know what she feels like. You may even feel that way about Central. You hear us talk about what God is doing, but you just don't see it. You hear us talk about salvation decisions being up over the last year, but you don't see it. Well, this morning, I pray that those of you frustrated with your vantage point will have a change of perspective. I pray that your eyes will be opened as you get front row seats to what God is doing in this church. You see, we want you to see what we see, to know what we know and to feel what we feel as you see him at work. We want you to know that we see a lot of people looking good on Sunday morning, but behind the smiles, there are battles going on. There are stories being lived out. We see a girl in high school and a lady in her 80s. We see a couple with a million dollars and a couple who do not have enough money for dinner. We see a girl who arrived in this country six months ago and another couple who have never left the country. We see a lady wrestling with her faith and then a man who has just decided that God may indeed exist after all. We see all of these people who might never sit down and listen to each other, but in the new humanity on display at Central, we see them meet, engage, and even interact as they begin to feel what the other feels. And then time stands still as this dividing wall of hostility slowly crumbles and them becomes us. They become we and others becomes ours. This is what we see when we minister here. We do not see an old church, a trendy church, a church where everyone has the same story. It's a beautiful thing to look around our family and find myself thinking, what could this group of people possibly have in common? And the answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. Central is a church where two groups of people, younger men and older women, sit together, worship together, and amazingly, in a way we will never be able to adequately capture for you, somehow it works because God is here. And so I see you sitting next to people who ask, where was God when they wrestled with addiction? Or where was God when my marriage was breaking? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when I was suffering? Where was God when I was hungry? Where was God when I was alone and when I needed direction? But do you know what God has done? Well, rather than me tell you that, let's allow them to share their stories with you. It was 1997. I was driving through a busy intersection. For some odd reason, random thoughts raced through my mind about my youngest child. What if he were to die in a car accident? What would I do? How could we ever live without our mat? 
As quickly as those questions entered my mind, they left as I answered them with the thought, God would just have to help me through it. Two months later, I told our 16-year-old son, Matt, goodbye and that I loved him as he left for school that morning. Those were the last words I would have with him on this earth. On the morning of September 10, 1997, Matt was killed in a car accident. During one of my very dark days, I remembered the reassurance I had just a few weeks before. God will just have to help me through it. We began to live a new normal. Matt's brother Scott was our only child here on earth. This new normal became strange territory. My husband sat at Matt's place at our table to fill in the gap. At least we didn't have to look at his empty chair. Our goal as Matt's parents is to be sure that his life and death serve a purpose. When we were able, we began to ask God what he wanted us to do with this tragedy, this new normal. After six years of ups and downs, when we finally made it out of the pit of grief, we attended a spiritual gifts class at Central Wesleyan. God was leading us to a purpose. When they suggested that we start a grief support group, we said, no way, we can't do that, we're not leaders. My husband Perry and I were the most unlikely candidates. However, we unfortunately were walking this journey and God promised he would help us through it, so we decided to obey God and trust him. 12 years later, we are still leading under his wings a grief support group for parents who grieve the death of a child. Have we healed? Yes. Do we still grieve? Yes. We love hard, so we grieve hard. But we grieve with hope. What an honor it is to share that hope while we wait to see Matt again. See, God is here, in you, working through you in a way that allows the hurting, the helpless, and those who have given up any hope of finding healing for their lives to experience their own personal wonder. But that's not all we see. We see people, lost people, people needing the hope and life that Jesus offers, finding this Jesus through us. Let me tell you about the over 300 people who have come to know Jesus this year. Let me tell you about the answered prayers of mothers for their prodigal children. Let me tell you about how God has saved one person, not just for that one person, but to change an entire family. Well, rather than me tell you that, let's allow Jamie, a lady who's gonna be baptized in our second service, tell you about her story from her vantage point. My journey with God started the beginning of November. I was raised by my mother who was a single mom. My father was absent. When I was 20, I found out I was pregnant with my son. Two years later, I gave birth to my daughter. I was in an abusive relationship, but felt like I could not leave. I was full of stress and had constant anxiety and panic attacks. I was controlled by anger. I joined a short circle at Central Wesleyan on Wednesday nights because my work schedule kept me from coming on Sundays. Rebecca, Tara, Leanne, and Lisa welcomed me in. I remember one of them saying, I would rather live and believe there is a God 
than to live my life without believing in Him and discover in the end that there is a God. When I reached my crisis point, I called my friend and she said, Jamie, you have been trusting in yourself. Are you ready to trust the Lord? That day on the phone with my friend, I repented and gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. In just a few short months, my life has been completely transformed. I started the apprentice class with Lisa Wilkinson. I joined Financial Peace University and got out of debt. Most days I feel like a bird that was once trapped and now is set free to fly. I am learning to pray when I feel stressed, anxious, or vulnerable. I am practicing the habit of listening to God's Word, reading and studying in the morning, talking about it with my friends when I have questions. This new life is now spilling over into my children, my nieces and nephew, and my mom. I know my future is bright. When depression comes over me, I think of the time in November that I was at a very low point. I cried out to God. I turned on my music and my favorite song, the one song I needed to hear, Lauren Daigle's song, First, came on. It was such a confirmation of God's love to me. I looked up and told the Lord, I will follow you. Church, God is using us to bring the hope and life of Jesus to people who need it. I see people like this. I hear stories like this and so many more every time I stand in this place. In the new humanity on display at Central, I see a purpose being forged, a dream being given. God has blessed us with each other, not simply for each other, but for the cause of Christ in the world. This ragtag humanity that God is collecting at Central has a call and that call is to be witnesses for Jesus in Holland and to the very ends of the earth. And that's why on Sunday, May the 3rd, 2015, so not quite one year ago, many of you sat in this room looking at me stand where I'm standing right now. And that night we introduced an exciting vision for the next decade of our church. And you heard me share our conviction that by 2020, Central will be a church of at least six campuses stretching from Holland to the very ends of the earth. Now, on that evening, I talked about the things we'd need to do to make it happen. I talked about the technology changes, the staffing changes, the prayerful search for locations for our campuses. Now, in two days, we reached the first anniversary of our Water's Edge vision. Less than one year ago, Central had just one campus. Today, Central is a church of five campuses reaching about 4,000 worldwide people every single week. In church, that's not all we see. We see a sixth campus launching next year and the, the leadership of Pastor Tarn. So when I stand here, when we stand here, we don't see a church limited by location. We see a church making a difference all over the world. When we stand here, when we sit here, it's easy to forget that ministry is happening outside of these walls too. It's happening in places we can't be, through people we can't see, doing things we can't do. And it's all happening because in 1981, the first global missions conference, you embraced a vision to be a world changing church, making an impact from Holland and beyond. And over the course of last year, God has been working in ways we can't see through people we don't know, doing things that only he can do. And when I stood on this platform one year ago and said that the technology update was going to change lives, many of you couldn't see it. But this morning, I want you to see it. I want you to hear what I hear every time I stand here. I hear stories of God working through us in ways that only God can do. 
See, God uses all things for his glory, even technology. Take our online campus, for example. Every week, hundreds and hundreds of people attend online, interact with our hosts. And this technology is a tool that is bringing the hope and life of Jesus to people we can't see from here. But through this technology, we're reaching them from here. For example, someone with a login name of ISSU111599 recently came to Christ online. Chatting to one of our online hosts, ISSU111599 wrote this. Thank you, Central, for this. God has shown me a great church that I can attend from three and a half hours away. I just prayed that prayer that Brad prayed. Tears are flowing from my eyes. Thank you for being such a great church. But there's more. Last weekend, someone was baptized who started attending Central online, saw a baptism and said, I need to be there. I need to do this. And last week they did. But there's even more. Every week through our campus pastors, lives are being changed. Standing here, I can't see it, but we hear about it. This morning, we want you to hear what we hear when we serve here. We want you to feel what we feel every time we enter this building. We hear stories of people facing persecution and standing against incredible adversity to follow Jesus. We hear stories of transformation through all of our campuses from La Roca, the Spanish campus, for example. Rather than me tell you a story, let's hear that story directly from one person whose life has been changed. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and since I was really young, I got involved in spiritism and witchcraft. I was raised without my dad, and I always felt emptiness inside of me, and I tried to fill that hole inside of me with the wrong things. I always felt alone and a really big need of love and be accepted, but every time I feel more lonely and lost. I tried to kill myself a few times. Thanks to God, I never succeeded. In 2001, I met my husband, who is a member of Church La Roca, and we started dating, and we dated for four years. Then we got married, and that was 11 years ago. And then, when I had my first baby, I was so excited to be a mom, but that didn't last long. When my baby was born, I got postpartum depression, and I hear voices to tell me to hurt my baby or even to kill him. It was a horrible time in my life, and I thank God that he helped me to control that. So by that time, I got more involved in witchcraft and spiritism, and then I had my second baby. And I had a beautiful family, a wonderful husband, and incredible kids, but I was so unhappy. And I was always sad, and I couldn't understand why. So I started getting more involved in the wrong things. Then I got really depressed that I tried to kill myself again. And I was in the hospital, in the psychiatric unit, for two weeks. And when I got out of there, it was horrible. I was taking five different types of pills a day. It was horrible. It made me feel like I couldn't control myself. I was like that for a few years. Then, in 2014, I wanted to know the truth of God. So I started reading the Bible and praying and asking Him to show me His truth. In June of 2014, I was in my bedroom and I was looking for preachers on YouTube and I remember seeing this message from Paul Watcher. And halfway, when he was given the message, suddenly, I felt like something was removed from my eyes and whatever was covering my ears, it came off. 
and then suddenly God showed me my life and the way that I have hurt him. And then he showed me how it was me who put Jesus in that cross. And it was because of me he suffered all of that pain. I couldn't stop crying. I thought I was a good person, that I didn't hurt anyone. And every time I had a chance to help anyone, I did. When when he showed me how I have hurt him so much, I felt so much guilt and pain inside of me. And I couldn't understand how he still loved me after everything I have done. And when he told me, I love you because I love you, I couldn't stop crying. How someone so perfect and wonderful could love me. And it was amazing to feel that love. In the next few weeks, I was just praying and reading the Bible and asking for forgiveness. And on July 2014, I got baptized in the church, and it was a wonderful experience for me. It hasn't been easy, but it's something so beautiful and wonderful to have a personal relationship with God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only that can save you. It's just amazing and really hard to explain it. You need to experience this love of God. Church La Roca is the place where God put me for a reason, and they have opened their arms for me, and it's a pleasure to be part of this congregation and to see all the wonderful things God is going to do with this congregation and my family in Christ. I know that my journey has just begun, and I know that I will be okay because He promised me He's going to be with me every step of the way and to not be afraid because He is with me and I trust Him and I love Him with everything in me. And I know the work He has begun in me, He will perfect it. So even in this very facility, lives are being changed. It's so easy to come in here every Sunday and miss the fact that our church is ministering to different people in a multiplicity of ways that we can't ever see, but it's happening. And because of our missional heart, this is happening not just in Holland, but across the world too. We recently started campuses in two of the most unreached countries in the world. One campus ministers in a country with over 200 unreached people groups, many of them unengaged. The other campus is in a country where 71% of the population is unreached. And we've embraced the vision. And as we've done that, God has raised up people willing to risk their very lives to bring the hope and life of Jesus to these places. One such girl is Rhea. She's a young lady from Manila who, well, let's hear the story from her, shall we? Ako si Ria My name is Ria Jimenez, and God has called me to fulfill the Great Commission through missions. In 2015, he led me to Cambodia to work with Pastor Fena. I just want to be used any way, anytime, anywhere God leads me to be a light, and I am here. At the age of 12, I was diagnosed with lupus. Lupus is an autoimmune disease where my immune system fails to function properly. Instead of protecting my body, it attacks my other organ systems. It's like having a self-destruct button. I'm dying little by little and there is no cure. But at the age of 15, I accepted and believed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My lupus wasn't healed that same moment, but 
Having a relationship with Him is better than any healing I could ever ask for. At 17, my lupus was so bad the doctor said I may have only two years left. The average lifespan of someone diagnosed with lupus is 10 years. Because of my illness, I stopped studying in college because it's hard to go to school and have my medication at the same time, plus the expense of it all. I must also not get stressed by physical activities or think too much as it may trigger more complications. But by God's grace, when I enrolled in a Bible college in Asia, I stopped taking steroids and haven't needed them since. I was a part of the student council and led the school's drama team where stress was inevitable and overwhelming. But God was good to give me strength. His goodness didn't stop there. For four years of studying in Bible college, I was blessed to have a scholarship where I didn't have to pay any tuition fee. I just graduated with a bachelor's degree and now am an intern with Pastor Fenna and applying for a master's degree. Having lupus, I can't be in the open, especially if it's a sunny day, or I will start to have a butterfly rash. Also, going out on cold, rainy days is a big no because my veins get inflamed. But God is my shield. He moves me to missions to different places, from flooded streets of Manila, to the different provinces in the Philippines, to the very hot country of Cambodia. He strengthens me to serve whatever the weather may be. And now I am 24. I will not deny my age, for I should have been dead by now. Yes, I'm still alive, but it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And it is God's miracle that I've been told I am lupus negative, a disease that is incurable. Praise God. Though there are days that I feel weak, I will always rejoice and be grateful for God's grace is made sufficient in my weakness. Lupus made me realize my limitations, but I'm amazed how life seems to be limitless if lived according to God's purpose. God is good. I believe He will be glorified in my body in spite of my infirmities. Whatever disease I'm diagnosed of, I will still disciple. I will still serve. I will still trust God. I will still love Him and praise His name. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you thought in a church like this you were anonymous? Uh, you're really not. One of the <clears throat> amazing things is whether it's me up here, whether it's Brad, whether it's Tarn, or whoever stands up here, even during the worship, there are always faces that we see. There are always faces that we catch a glimpse of. You see, when we stand up here, we don't see numbers, we don't see a mass of people. Uh, we see people God, who God loves, people who God is really doing a transforming work in. And Brad was right, right at the beginning. One of the hardest things about something like this, and even in a church of this size, is, is just to convey that behind the mass, the mass of people, the sheer volume of the buildings, there is a mass of ministry that goes on here that we're just mindful of the fact that all too often you don't see that. And this morning, we wanted to help you to see that. 
Because behind the water's edge vision of at least six churches stretching from Holland to the ends of the globe, behind the, the reality that we have to deal with what God is doing in our, in our next gen ministry, we have to deal with the fact that there are people who, as they've gotten older, they are mobile challenged. The facility is so big, we need to make it so much smaller. Behind all of these challenges, there are individual people who God is calling to connect into this ministry. And there are more people that we need to reach. Even in Church City, uh, a small town of 171 churches, there are 47% of people people who have never or who have got no connection with church whatsoever. These aren't stats. These are people. And when we stand here, that's what we see. And I obviously can see your face, but I don't know your story, but I'm thankful that whether it's in the first service with the what, near 200 people on the stage or whether it's in the second service, our prayer is that everybody will be known and that they would accept the responsibility to make Christ known. And that really is the stronger challenge for us, is to become stronger at home and away. And we've made a really great start. It was Bill Gates who said, people can overestimate what they do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. Think about that with me. It is possible for us to overestimate what we can achieve in one year and underestimate what we can achieve in 10. Well, if that is true, just think that it was a year ago, in two days, Sunday, May the 3rd, 2015, that I stood right here saying what we'd need to do, that we'd have to update our technology, that we'd have to change some of our staff and some of the way we do ministry. That we would have to begin a careful search for locations and as painful as these kind of changes are, the reality is we need to do this because God has given us a vision to be a church that stretches from Holland to the ends of the earth. That was one year ago. And in that year, we have gone from a church in one place to a church of five campuses and next Easter, Easter Sunday, we believe we will be a sixth as Pastor Taran and Jordan just go and lead a new work in a city close to us. All of this we've done in one year. And I know that aspects of this have been troubling and changing for some of you, change always is. But think about what Bill Gates said. It is possible for us to overestimate what we achieve in one year and underestimate what we achieve in 10. Church, if that is true, won't you dare dream with me about what we can do in the next decade? If we've done all of this in under one year, then what with God's help is it possible for us to do over the next decade? That's the water's edge vision. That's our stronger challenge, and we believe that the God who has enabled us to make such a strong beginning is the one who, with his help, and through your support, can help us transition and continue to move to do even more. When I was called into ministry, God gave me a life verse, and that life verse is in Ephesians. And I always hold on to things like scriptures like this in moments like this. The verse says, now to him who's able to do abundantly more than we ask, think, or even imagine. 
All we're asking you to do in this season with us is to dare to dream. Dare to believe that God can do abundantly more than we even imagine. There are a number of challenges that we've had over the last year. And there's a challenge that we have as I stand here today. And the real reality is in order for us to take that next step, it's going to involve a financial challenge. You heard Pastor Brad address that at the message last week. We are going to need an additional $7 million over and above our regular tithes and offerings over the next three years to put us in the place that we need to be to do what God is calling us to do. I realize that's a lot of money. Just a little while ago, a a young couple that I met on the first Sunday that I preached here in July of 2014 sent us a letter reminding us what a strong uh, challenge and a big challenge that is. In 2014, when I met that couple, they had one young child. Now God has blessed them with a, a second child. They are an incredible couple because they have been tried to be financially faithful in their tithes and their offerings over a long period of time, but they're numbers people, and they worked out that in order for us to do this, essentially what we need is for a 1,000 people they worked out to commit $44 every week over the next three years to make that happen. Now, it never works that easily, but essentially they're right. You see, the tendency in situations like this and with challenges like this is for us to think that there are one or two people that write really big checks and that's the way it works. Well, it may work like that in some places, but that's not the way it works here. It's never worked that way here. Everything that God has built in this place has been built through an army of people doing what God has told them to do. And amazingly, in a way that Pastor Lynn and the, and the finance team can't explain to you, it all comes together in a way that works. So while the math, a thousand people, $44 a week was a little simplistic, the reality is that they're right. It does take an army of people willing to move in order to make things like this work. And so on the day of the stronger vote, That couple, uh, just like many of you, were were debating this through. One of them was going to vote yes, enthusiastically, wholeheartedly, believing that this was exactly the right thing to do, willing to embrace the consequences, and the other person was going to vote yes, but reluctantly. It just seemed like an awful lot of money. And so they voted yes. And now, of course, they were thinking, how on earth do we have the conversation about how much to give, right? If one of you votes yes enthusiastically and the other one votes yes, but you're not really sure, then that's going to be a pretty interesting conversation. What I'd like to do right now is I would like to read the rest of the letter. This is as they wrote it to us. I was going to say we can't make stuff like this up, but yeah, we can make stuff like this up. But this letter is read to you exactly the way that the story continues. Listen to this. It goes on. No matter what fancy math I did, nearly any amount would still have an impact on our family budget. We're younger parents with young kids, and for now, giving above and beyond our tithe is more often than not a one-time event that has never been a years-long decision. 
Once we voted and it was announced that the congregation had affirmed the stronger challenge, we re realized with some trepidation that we had an even bigger conversation in front of us. How much would we ultimately give to this? How much is right when one of us is enthusiastically in favor of this work, but the other only voted to approve it with great hesitation? We both agreed that we should be giving more, but the actual amount was still very much up in the air. A few days after the congregational vote, completely out of the blue, my manager requested a meeting with me. In this meeting, he told me that I was to be receiving a modest raise. This was completely unprecedented for three reasons. First, my employer has a, no, has a general policy of no annual raises here. If you'd like a raise, you'll get one with a promotion, and I haven't been promoted this year. Secondly, I received a raise in May of last year tied to a promotion. So this is two pay bumps in less than a year. Thirdly, and finally, and perhaps the biggest of all, I had not requested a raise. My manager had taken it upon himself completely independently to request one for me. Not all of my team members received this consideration. The next is the master of understatement. I gratefully accepted the raise. Uh, have any of you known anybody who's not done that? And then I went about life in general with a slightly nagging question. Why this amount? Why now? See, every time I've received a raise or extra income in the years since we started being deliberate with our ties and our offerings, we've seen very strong connections to life events. One of our favorite examples of this is the link. Now, one of this link is an anecdote about a grant I received for college right after we were married. We decided to tithe 10% of our grant money even though we were newly married and our finances were ridiculously tight. The very next week, I received a pay increase that was almost exactly equal to that 10% tithe over the course of a year. Clearly and consistently, when we demonstrate faithfulness to God with our tithes and our offerings, God has in turn provided more and more for us. And so, the Sunday after receiving the raise while in church, it dawned on me, after taking another quick look at my math from a few weeks ago, a thousand people, $44 a week, I converted my raise to a weekly amount. Any of you want to guess how much? You can't make this up. $43 a week. They're right. This is far too close to be anything but a God thing. I love this part. They say, others might read this and find a multitude of theological implications or holes, but the message to deliver to us from God feels crystal clear. Take the race that came out of the blue and donate it to the stronger challenge. Oh, and any overtime you might work, that's icing on the cake. God proving his faithfulness to us by providing more and more for us as we continue to be faithful to him. And the final icing on the cake, my wife and I got to avoid a potentially combustible conversation about how much to give. <laughs> I love that. I love it because here is a, a young couple. Finances are tight. Just being willing to say, God, Firstly, what do you want us to do? How, how do you want us to approach this? And then secondly, saying, God, won't you just show us what our part in this is? And then God does what, what God does. 
And that couple realized this is God just making a way for them to step into the stronger challenge in a way that is right for them. Church, Jesus' philosophy in ministry was very simple. I only do what the Father tells me. I only say what the Father tells me to say. In this season of ministry at Central, as critical as it is, I'm praying that we would all be willing to make the example of Jesus our experience and be willing to seek God for what he would have us to do. Nothing more than that, nothing less than that. Because as big as this vision and this challenge truly is, the reality is the Bible tells us the resources for works like this are always in the harvest. They're always in the harvest. And so if we are all willing in this season to to pray and say, God, what do you want us to do? Then the answer that we're all given is what God needs us to have. And the great thing with this stronger challenge is we've not overextended ourselves. And so we're in the perfect position to move forward with this. But in the season, would you all be willing just to seek God with us? Recognize, recognizing that behind the buildings and the new location for La Roca and the new campus with Pastor Torrent is a desire not to make a bigger name for ourselves, but for us to hear more stories of people meeting Jesus and finding the hope and life that he offers. Now, to help you do this over the next few weeks, when you leave today, you will be given something like this. It'll look exactly the same as this. And when you open it up on the inside, there are basically four pieces of material. What I believe to be the most important piece is a devotion. 13 days. What I would really value and cherish is if we as a congregation of faith would be willing to just go through the devotional that we have written especially for this stronger challenge as a church family, just saying, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? As you go inside, you'll see it's it's not very long. There's some blank pages that are there uh, in order for you to take any notes if you sense God uh, speaking to you. And uh, as we do this together as a faith family, we're just praying that God would speak. In the packets, there are one of these uh, devotionals uh, per couple, but if you would need another one, we are seeking to source more of those. Now, I'm recognizing that some people don't necessarily like reading. They prefer the audio Bible, so we've also got this in there. This is just basically what people would call the case statement. This is what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're doing it for, and what we really need in order for that to happen. As you open it up, you'll be able to see on the inside just a a timeline. That timeline is really important. Central is 120 years old this year. Think about all the changes that this church has actually gone through, all the changes in our country, all of the changes in our world, and this church has come out stronger the other side. As you read through this, you'll be able to see all of the challenges that we've been able to overcome, two world wars, the sexual revolution, liberalism creeping into the church. And despite all of this, God has made this church stronger. Our prayer is that that would continue to be our story for the next 100 years or until Jesus will return. 
Recognizing that many people don't like reading, we've got lots of pretty pictures in there where the text is few, but hopefully uh, the words and the meaning of these are pretty clear. Take some time, just read through, read through that. As we do that, there are two other final pieces of information in here. One is what we would call a commitment card. We've put some words on a page recognizing that for some people, they've never made this kind of journey before. Some of you in here are Caleb's. You've done this before, and you've gone through this process, and you know that when you step out in faith, God blesses. But others of you are really chasing after Caleb. This is the first time you've done this. And so we put a, a commitment card in there just to, just to help you to navigate through that. You'll see that that's on two sides. And then finally, what you have right here on the front flap is what we call a commitment card. On Sunday, May the 22nd, during our service, what we would like is for those people who sought God's will and have that clear sense of what God is saying to them to complete their card, to bring it in time for the 22nd, of the service on the 22nd, and then during that service, we'll provide a means of responding. This is a, a crucial, a critical time for our church, but it's a good time. God is doing incredible things and we're simply making room for what God is doing. Let me give you uh, one example. We haven't talked a lot at the moment about the, the children's playland and about what we're doing with the children's ministry, but I tell you, we need that. And already in anticipation for that, God is doing great things in our children's ministry. In fact, through the summer, the, we usually plan to have a quieter summer, but the growth in our children's ministry has been so significant that we're probably going to need another 20 to 30 volunteers in our kids' ministry just to be able to keep pace and to keep the same scale that we would have normally through the year because the ministry has grown that much. Church, God is at work. And all we're trying to do here is to make room for God to do even more. And so what I would like you to do as you take these packets as you leave is simply pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? And as a leadership, all we're asking is for you to do nothing more, nothing less than what God says. Because if we as a church commit to doing what God says, then God will protect and honor the glory of Christ in the church. It's when we get out in front of him try to do his work for him that we get in trouble. Let's not do that. But let's just pray now that over the next three weeks as we seek God as a faith family, that we would hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us in this church. Bow your heads with me. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have heard incredible stories today. Eight people have been baptized and publicly professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard a small sampling of stories, both in this room, in our LaRocca campus, and around our, our ministry across the world about what you're doing there. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have chosen to use us in this way, in this season. But Father, we believe that you're not finished with us yet. You have more to do. And so, Father, what we need you to do is just to speak to our hearts and to reveal to each of us individually what it is that you're calling us to do. So, Father, won't you speak? Won't you send your Holy Spirit? Remove anything from our ears and our eyes that may stop us from hearing or seeing. And may we hear clearly 
May we see clear, more clearly than ever before and may we respond in obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. God, we thank you that you are the Lord of the church and we pray that the name of your son, Jesus Christ, would be bigger and stronger than anything else in and through this place. Lord Jesus, be glorified. Father, have your way. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Again, thank you for being here. As you leave today, the ushers will be giving you the stronger packet. Also, I want to draw your attention to the fact that we do have this VIP, the Vision Inspiration Prayer Initiative. It's just going to start at 12.15. The team of people are going to lead you to different sections in our facility to just pray with you through everything that we're going to do. If you are interested in doing that and planning on doing that, they're going to meet actually on the second floor, which is basically on the bridge just outside the main auditorium. Again, church, thank you for being here. God bless you. We're going to have a great week next week with Sheila Walsh on Mother's Day. Invite your friends and your family, and we'll see you next week. God bless. Have a great week.